0: What's everyone? We had the youth at our house Friday night. Last past Friday night. I just want to say, man, you guys have some great kids. We had a great time. You know, I believe that one of life's greatest pleasures that God has given us outside of relationships is food. Yes, yes. I don't say that just because my vocation revolves around food. I don't just say that because obviously I love to eat food. Food can be very exciting. Food can be beautiful. Listen, food can be very, very... Memorable. Working in a nursing home slash assisted living facility. You know what the highlight of the residence day is? That's right, mealtime. And let me assure you, about an hour before it's time to eat, come flocking in making their way into the dining room, looking into the kitchen, wondering, well, it can be a little scary to be quite frank. (laughs) One of the things that I love about traveling, whether it's locally, whether it's out of state, whether it's abroad, one of the things I love in part about traveling is the experience that I know I'm going to have with food. As a matter of fact, some of the great concrete memories that I have with people actually revolve around the meal. Look, I remember the time when I was with some dear friends and we were in a rural village in India. We're sitting down with brothers in Christ, Indian brothers in Christ, having a meal of curry chicken and potatoes on fried flatbread, talking about the Great Commission, Wonderful meal. Dialogue was good too, but just a wonderful meal and a wonderful time together. Or that time that I was in Africa with a very dear friend of mine, and we ordered spaghetti with marinara. They made the marinara fresh. And it was so hot that even the next day our mouths were burning. But it was so good we just couldn't stop eating. We're eating, and it's like, man, this is great. Yeah, this is awesome. Man, my mouth is on fire. Yeah, Mine too, but you just couldn't stop eating. You couldn't put it down. Or that time probably about 20-some years ago when I'm walking with my wife in Nuremberg, Germany, and we go to a little cafe that sits over the Pegnitz River eating a bratwurst and a German pretzel. Memories revolving around food. Do we have any food connoisseurs among us today? Yeah? Okay, play a little game. You willing? I'm going to name a food. You tell me where it's from. Or you tell me where it's closely associated with. What do you think? You up for it? Okay. Clam chowder. That's right. Okay. Ratatouille. France. Who said France? Who said France? Good job. Good job. Okay. What about fish and chips? England that's right okay what about pad thai Thailand. Thailand that's right what about asian dumplings those originated from Ellen's kitchen and don't <laughs> let anybody tell you don't let anybody tell you otherwise so many foods are so different and what may appeal to one person may not appeal to another but when you think about a universal food, something that may be found in every continent and in every country, what might you think of? I'll give you a hint. It's found right here. Bread. You think of you think of bread. Now, I'm not a world traveler by any means, but all the places that I've been to, whether it's been the elegant strip mall in the airport at Amsterdam or rural village in West Africa, one of the things that I know I can always find to satisfy my hunger, regardless of the culture or the area, is a piece of bread. So when I'm standing at the marketplace evaluating my options, okay, do I take the piece of fish that the flies are congregating on do I choose that portion of meat that's boiling in the midday sun, that unknown meat that Brian and I ate on one of the last trips that we were in Africa on? Do I do I choose that chicken intestine skewer? That's always a favorite, or the chicken beak, good for the teeth. No, I'm going to, in the midst of all of these exotic exceptions, I'm going to choose the familiarity of bread. I'm going to talk to you briefly and simply this morning about bread, but not any kind of bread. Bread that gives life. Bread that has life. Bread that when we partake of it, we receive the abundance found in that life. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 6 as we talk about bread that satisfies starting in verse 22. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, this is the day after the feeding of the 5,000, on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but that His disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did You come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We're going to camp starting here in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Verse 28, Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Father, we we come together and God, we celebrate this morning that your life and just, just kind of reflecting on the theme of worship. You, you give life. You are the author of life, regardless of what's going on in our lives. You give life, and it's a life that's never ending. It's a, it's a life that's fulfilling. It's a life that's refreshing. It's a life that's renewing. It's a life that, that keeps us in perspective. God, we need life. So this morning, Lord, we need and ask for just clarity. Father, we don't need to hear anything that you would not want us to hear. Speak clearly to your people for your glory. Speak clearly to your people for our sakes. Speak clearly to your people, God, that we may enjoy and have true life as we partake of the bread of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of principles that I want to pull from this passage. The first being the bread of life and the satisfaction of the heart. The bread of life and the satisfaction of the heart. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the bread of life and satisfaction in the world. Not satisfaction with the world, but being satisfied in the world. When we talk about the bread of life, satisfaction of the heart, what we're really talking about is the work that takes place inside the man. The work that takes place that changes the man. Jesus called Himself the bread of life. Of of all things that Jesus could have referred to regarding Himself, He refers to Himself as bread. I mean, He could have really capitalized on this moment and he could have waited until nightfall and he could have likened himself to lightning. He could have likened himself to lightning as the darkness of night and all of the things that are concealed in the darkness of night are exposed by the illuminating power and the illuminating energy of lightning and to make things for the sake of effect real exciting, he could have etched a lightning bolt in the backdrop of his speech. Could have been grand. Or when he was walking on the water, he could have called himself dominion or domination as the waves are picking up the boat and tossing it over here. And then the waves are picking up the boat and slinging it over there. And yet, all the while, he's walking on the water and the waves are bowing down to him the way that subjects bow down to a king the way that servants bowed down to their Master, and to make things for the sake of effect really unique, He could have said, hey Peter, uh uh-uh, don't you dare get out of this boat. This isn't for you. This is way too holy. I'm dominion. But He didn't do any of that. We instead find the Savior in John chapter 6 in a Jewish synagogue talking to poor people and loving unfaithful people by offering them the gift of bread. And listen, beloved, if we are not careful, we are unaffected and we are unimpressed with that idea. Listen, I can get extremely excited about food. But when I think about the center plate, centerpiece of a plate, I usually, necessarily, I just don't think about bread. I think about the satisfaction of a perfectly cooked steak, I think about the satisfaction of a well-seasoned piece of salmon, but I don't draw enthusiasm from the thought of bread being the centerpiece of my meal. It doesn't excite me on my own. You see, it's an accessory to the centerpiece of the plate. It's not the centerpiece itself. That really wasn't the case in Jesus' culture, though wasn't the case at all. Bread wasn't an accessory to a meal. Bread was the meal. Now, there were special occasions and special celebrations, of course, when meat was eaten, but in relation to the majority of the population that Jesus taught, the majority of the population that Jesus hung out with, meal was not a daily option. It was a it was a luxury that they could partake of on occasion, and the times were far and few between. But in Jesus' day, bread was so much the centerpiece of eating that bread itself came to mean food. And I believe it's even evident in this passage as we see food and bread being used interchangeably. So a person knew, if I have bread, I have life. Listen, that's what makes Jesus' claim so radical. In calling Himself bread, Jesus is making a profound statement. Not only is He declaring that He has life, not only is He declaring that He's defined by life, but His life is such that He has abundant life within Himself to give to others to completely change the quality of their lives. Listen, Jesus doesn't claim that He's a type of bread among other types of bread. Jesus doesn't claim that He is a superior bread among all of the other breads that may be out there, and He most certainly does not give us any credit for having Any type of bread-like qualities at all. That's what makes his claim so radical because it's so exclusive. He alone, his suggestion is, he alone is the sustenance of life, but your life. He alone gives life. He alone defines the quality of your life. He alone produces life. He alone influences life. He alone transfers life. Not not a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a new truck or a new rifle. He alone gives life. And the implication is that He alone satisfies us in those crossroads of life when we're wondering where true satisfaction really comes from. So the question is, how distracted are we in the midst of how personal Jesus makes this? Okay? Because to be quite honest, He's establishing a pretty personal framework for us. Think about it. I'm the bread of life given for you. It's I and you. It's not I, and you, and other things. It's not I, and you, and other dreams. It's not I, and you, and other hopes. It's just solely, specifically, I, and you. That's what makes the claim so radical. His claim is that in the midst of a culture that's competing for our affections, He alone is enough to give us complete satisfaction. What do we do with that idea that Jesus presents to us? Let's read verse 26. Let's go back to that. and the bread of life. It's a huge claim. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Now, verse 29 says, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So the first work for us is simply to believe. In those crossroads, in those moments. It sounds elementary on the outside of a crossroads or the outside of a dilemma or the outside of a tough circumstance, or standing outside of someone else's tough circumstance looking in. It sounds very elementary to believe that Christ gives me complete satisfaction in those moments, in those crossroads of my life. And I know it sounds elementary, and I know it sounds simple, but Jesus calls it work. Because He calls it work to believe that because we're talking about a personal day-to-day, day-by-day truth that God wants to give me and God wants to give you that we can cling to in the midst of those crossroads of life. We're talking about a personal day-to-day, day-by-day truth that God is presenting to us that He wants us to be able to run to and feed upon in the midst of those crossroads. But let me assure you that this day-to-day truth will be something that we can latch onto with much joy based upon the fact that we approach Him as a day-to-day, day-by-day provision. The Jews approach Jesus and they say, hey, look, What signs do you do? What miracles do you do? Do you remember a time when God used to feed us daily with manna? Now what they're really saying is, hey, look, if you're, if you're a great, if you're who you say you are, do what Moses did back then and feed us now. Feed us on a daily basis. We, we need to know that you are who you say you are. And then, of course, Jesus responds and says, well, number one, Moses didn't do it. God did. And number two, the whole purpose was to point to Me and know that I am your day-to-day provision for your day-to-day need to believe. I think it's very relevant because the word that Jesus uses, the word believe it doesn't just refer to the single act of believing that's necessary for salvation, although it does mean that. The word believe that Jesus uses, it's a verb in a continuous sense. So Jesus is saying, listen, it's not just about you believing in order to be saved. Christianity is about you continuing to believe to keep on believing, to be about the work of believing. And we need to probably stop and really determine what that means. Because when we talk about work, we're not talking about working in order to gain enough merit or enough wages to be able to purchase this bread. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about working to believe that the bread that's already been given to us through the person of Jesus Christ really is, really consists of the sustenance that He said it did. Working to believe that at those crossroads of life, Jesus really is enough to bring me satisfaction. So when you think about it, it really is a radical statement to make to us today, just as much as it was then. Cultures change. Eras change. This truth, it doesn't change. In the midst of our culture changing, in the midst of... Technology evolving in the met, in the midst of economics growing. This truth that Jesus spoke years, thousands of years ago is lifted up from his lips and it's dropped into our world, our culture, our day, right here, right now, in order for us to believe just as radical, if not more so than it was then. Because we're not talking about bread or offering bread to a culture that's defined by bread. We're talking about bread, and we're offering bread to a culture who has the very world, all of the information of the world, interaction with other literal people in the world. We're talking about a present culture that has mass options in relation to media and entertainment. A culture that has mass options in relation to erotica of all sorts at their very fingertips. And we're talking about bread? Bread for what? Bread in comparison to what? Bread to satisfy me in place of what? One mother, reflecting on an interaction with her son, said the following. <clears throat> Mom! Mom! Hey, Mom! I looked up at my son. I'm sorry. What? What? I asked. Did you hear anything I said? No, I admitted. I think you're addicted to your phone, he remarked. See, this isn't just about our daughters doing the duck face on Instagram. It's about us. It's about me and you. Justifications and excuses lingered on the tip of my tongue. I wanted to tell him about the important email I had to send, but the truth is, he was right. One of the biggest drains of our time is technology because of the access it gives us to a virtual life. Our lives revolve around this access And its pull on us is oh so strong. Yeah, there's always emails to check, texts to respond to, statuses to update, images and videos to see or post, and they must be done right away. Or so we think, putting everything else on pause. Everything. Including finding satisfaction in the bread of life. The person of Christ. I believe that's why Matt Chandler said, One of my greatest fears is that we are going to be Facebooking, texting, and tweeting ourselves into unbelief. You know what the problem is with the crowd? They're distracted. They're just simply, they're just simply distracted. They are so distracted by what they've already been given. Looking around them, They see what was provided for them and they're so distracted by what they've been given that they can't take their eyes off of the provision and their love for the provision comes at a great cost. The cost of seeking out the joy that's found in the person. Now, I think I can identify with that. (laughs) I'm going to undrape a little bit here. When I was in high school, I'll tell you about a circumstance that's going on in our lives right now, and this applies so much to me. When we were in high school, I worked for my father-in-law, and he was a contractor. We were building a house for a lady in Stanford Acres. She ended up becoming a great family friend of ours. She came to my wife, uh, our, our wedding, and it just was a really good friend. Now, at our wedding reception, I think, or about that time, my wife says to this lady, Listen. If there ever comes a time when you decide you want to sell this house, would you let us know? And just like my, my wife always said, we didn't have two nickels to rub together at that time. But she says, would you let us know? And the lady says, sure. About five years ago, we moved back to this area from Franklin, West Virginia, and we got a call. Guess who from? Yes. Yes, the lady. And the lady says, listen, I need you to know something. I'm dying of cancer. got about few years left to live. I want you guys to have my house. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in my will that you guys get this house at the cost (laughs) that we paid for it when we built it back in the mid-80s. Okay? And I'm thinking, okay, that's great. And then she tells me how much it is and I'm like, ugh. You know what I'm realizing? I want this thing really bad. I want it. Now my wife, she's as cool as a cucumber through this and she's saying, you know what? I'm satisfied where we are. If we don't get it, that's fine. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm content. And I'm saying in the deep recesses of my heart, I want this horribly. I want it. I want it. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to want it? Is it wrong to go to the Lord and ask for it? I think so. I think it's wrong. I'll tell you when I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong when my approach to the Lord becomes an emphasis on the provision versus an emphasis on finding satisfaction in his person. Now, let me tell you when the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road when if That day comes, I get the call that says it's not going to happen for you. That's when the rubber meets the road for all of us, isn't it, during those times? The rubber meets the road for us when we hear things like, sorry, you were bypassed again for that promotion. The rubber for us in our Christianity, it really meets the road when we're told, sorry, you didn't get that pastorate position. John Doe got it. The rubber meets the road for us when we get our, when we get a call from the county sheriff and he says, Hey, Mr. Jones, just want to call and let you know we've got your son downtown locked up. The rubber meets the road when I get a call from my daughter and she says, Hey, dad, just wanted to call and say I love you. Oh, and by the way, Spike and I got married last night and I won't be home. That, those are the times when the rubber meets the road of our Christianity. Now, you may say, hey, you know what? I'm not confronted with those type of big issues in my life. Understand. God, I, I get it. Praise God for that. Maybe it's those subtle issues of your life in your life. John Piper has a word for you. <clears throat> he states this. <clears throat> the greatest enemy of hunger for God. So let's talk, let's stop there. The enemy that fights against me having satisfaction, soul satisfaction in the person of Christ. Back up. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. Maybe it's not the big things. Maybe it's the little things of everyday life. Those subtle things that distract us. The issue is distraction. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality that we drink in every night. So maybe it is the subtle things of everyday life that just pull us away from finding our complete satisfaction in the person of Christ. Now let me tell you why that needs to be real and relevant to us. Because I believe this, guys. I believe that the manner by which I work to believe in here, it will determine the way by which I work out there. The way that I work to believe in here will empower the way that I work out there. The way that I wrestle my flesh to believe that Christ is all satisfying in all moments. Now, let's stop because we're not suggesting here that during those times of dad, I just married Spike, we're not we're not suggesting that those aren't discouraging times. We're not saying that being satisfied in Christ means to never be discouraged. What we are saying is to be satisfied in Christ means that I'm never crippled. I am never defeated. I am never beaten down. I can always rise up and say, I know where my true satisfaction really lies. And the way that I work out that belief in here empowers my view of work out there In my work. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Let me tell you something about the bread of life. It is meant to be shared. We break the loaf here. We share it among each other. But beloved, it's not designed to stop being shared here. It's designed to be shared out there as well. So when we talk about the bread of life, second point, and the satisfaction in the world, not of the world, but in the world, we're no longer talking about the work that takes place in a man. We're now talking about the work that takes place by the man in the world. Let's read verse 27 again. do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So, Don't work for this, but do work for this, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. I think Will stated earlier that we have many college students that will be leaving us, right? This will be your last Sunday for a while. This is a charge to everybody, but let me offer this as a charge and a challenge to you. This morning, everybody hear me, but I want to offer a challenge to you, because let me tell you what we do know that Christ doesn't mean. We know that Christ doesn't mean don't work. We know that he means that. Now, I don't say that just because I feel like my life is defined by perishable work. I mean, come on, man. I get up every morning. I go to a job that's perishing. I work for food that's perishing. I come home to a house that ultimately, although may very slowly, is perishing. I eat food that perishes. I go to bed at night to try to energize this body that is in process of perishing. I get up in the morning. I go to a job that's perishing. I work for food that perishes. It's the same old cycle over and over and over again. Now the point in part is, we know that Jesus is not saying, do not work. We know that. We know that if we don't work we don't feed our wives and our daughters and we end up having to move in with in-laws or, or family and friends that critique the way we discipline our kids and it's a horrible downward spiral. We have to work. We have to work. We're called to work. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Man, if you don't work, then you don't eat. So we know we're called to work. We know that. And I want to say this, I feel really, really blessed in all sincerity to be a part of a church where a strong work ethic defines the what a, what a gift of God. What a measure of grace that, that you're involved in community with a group of people that have such a strong, solid work ethic. Thank you for that example. I just don't know that I believe that a strong work ethic on its own is enough. I guess what I'm trying to say is I believe the principle of work has to be coupled with and complemented by a right priority of work and a right purpose for work. So let's be really clear as we try to unpack this, college students let be very clear in the midst of Christ saying, don't work for this, but do work for that. Since we know we're called to work, and since we know that Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes, but do work for food that endures to eternal life, He has to mean that one has a place of authority and one has a place of priority over the other. He has to mean that. He has to mean that my work in the world is a platform to accomplish the work of Christ. The perishable work that I give myself to on a daily basis, beloved, it's nothing more than a platform to be about the imperishable work of advancing the kingdom of God. Your work or the work that you will do, your job, it is a gift from God regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're doing, and regardless of your wage. Because God has sovereignly placed you in a perishable place to be about imperishable work. And you say, how in the world (laughs) is my work And my job, a gift from God. How in the world is that possible? I am way overworked and I am way underpaid. Well, let me tell you two reasons why we know it's a gift from God. Number one, your job is for you. God has sovereignly placed you to be about perishable work because the reality is you have perishable needs. We need things like clothing, shelter, food. So first of all, your job is for you. Second thing I want to say, and equally as important, your work is for God. Where you are right now, where you will go, you are in a place that God has sovereignly designed so that you may be about the work of building the kingdom of God by redeeming the culture. Redeeming the culture by introducing them to the bread of life that sustains us. We have to live that out among them in order for them to know how valuable it really is. Now, I want to say something to you. That changes completely your view should, I pray by God's grace, Changes completely your view of the level of importance of your job. Let me stop there. Mothers, wow. Man, wives, man, the work that you do is amazing, it's imperishable. You are building and working and laboring for the advancement of the kingdom of God in ways that I may only dream of. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do in a perishable world that has imperishable effects. Thank you for that. I pray that that changes your view, sir, of the level of importance of your job. I don't want to be super spiritual right now and say, hey, you are where you are. God sovereignly designed it. So just love what you do. If you don't love what you do, try to find something different. Yeah, be joyful in what you do. Try to have a job that you enjoy and can be fruitful in. But it doesn't change the level of importance in where you are now and where you will end up. It's not about what we do for a living. See, this is a game changer in life. It's no longer about what we do for a living. It is now about how well we do it. And I want to suggest this morning that we be extremely cautious I want to suggest that we be cautious in stating things like, okay, well, I have to devote this amount of time to the church. Or I have to devote this amount of time to the work of the ministry, kind of suggesting that we might have a secular job over here regarding our our vocation, and then we have a spiritual work to do over here in relation to the church. We do not live in two worlds. We do not live in a world that's vocational and a separate world that is spiritual. Where I'm functioning right now in my workplace is a sign of submission to where God has me right now in relation to building the kingdom. And am I going to be more humble here than I am at my job? Am I going to be more submissive here than I am in the workplace? Am I going to care about advancing the kingdom more here than I would out there where I work and live and know a lot of people, sadly, more than I know a lot of you? I don't, I don't think that's the call. Yes, work. Work. And use your, use your perishable work to build an imperishable kingdom. John Piper says, No beaver or bee or hummingbird or ant consciously relies on God. No beaver ponders the divine pattern of order and beauty and makes a moral choice to pursue excellence because God is excellent. No beaver ever pondered the preciousness and purpose of God and decided for God's sake... To make a dam for another beaver and not for himself. But humans have all of these potentials because we are created in God's image. When God commissions us to subdue the earth, I think Wednesday night Hamlet referred to the pattern, the male pattern. When you meet a man, you don't know, you shake his hand. What's the first thing you ask? What do you do for a living? This idea changes all of that. If you would have said, Paul, what do you do for a living? He opened his letters and told us, I'm a slave to Christ. That's what I do for a living. Piper goes on to say, when God commissions us to subdue the earth, we're talking about our work right now, to shape it and use it. He doesn't mean do it like a beaver. He means do it like a human. A morally self-conscious person who is responsible to do his work intentionally for the glory of the Master. Therefore, the essence of our work as humans must be that it is done in conscious reliance on God's power and in conscious quest of God's pattern of excellence and in deliberate aim to reflect God's glory. And if I may bow low enough to add a comment to John Piper's statement, to offer living bread and advance the kingdom of God in what may seem to be a fulfilled culture, although deep down they greatly need the bread of life. I want to read three verses out of this passage. Look at verse 7 with me. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Verse 33. See what we can find in common in these passages. Verse 33. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What do these passages have in common? What word kind of flashes out that they all have? life they are they all contain life and they are all offers of life the word life is from a greek word zoe and it's defined like this it means the state of existing which is common to mankind whether saved or not it's a state of existence Acts chapter 17, verse 25, Paul's talking to the men of Athens, and he makes reference to God who gives to all mankind life. God who gives to all mankind existence. Do you know that it's possible to exist and yet at the same time not be alive? Do you know that it's possible to be a life? And not be full of the life, of the bread of life. I think that there are probably a lot of people in this room right now, and you probably feel very unappreciated. You're 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 a woman, you're at home with the children, you invest in them, you feel like you're overlooked you feel like you're bypassed, you're a husband, you're a man, you're working all day, you feel it's not appreciated, let me encourage you, you have life. You are carrying life. You are giving life. Every single man and woman in this place, you are a carrier of life and thank God for you. And thank God for your work and in the eyes of a Savior if you care about life. Listen, listen. If we're not striving to believe that Christ is all satisfying in those moments of crossroads, I can see why we're unfulfilled. The average American eats approximately 35,000 hours in their lifetime. When you break that down, that's eight years of continually eating for 12 hours a day. That's the problem, right? The problem is I can't eat just one meal and be fulfilled. A couple hours later, I've got to keep going back. I've got to keep going back and I've got to keep eating and I've got to keep getting filled. Listen, if you are not finding your complete satisfaction in the person of Christ, I understand why you keep going back. Understand why you keep going back to a thing in the world or of the world because you're unsatisfied and you want to be satisfied more than you want anything. But if you are fighting and striving to believe that Christ is the bread of life and He is all satisfying to you regardless of your circumstance or what's going on, thank God for you, you are a carrier of life praise God for you and praise God for the work that you do. I just want to say thank you. And with that thanks, I want to ask you to bow your heads. And I want to ask Hamlet if you would come forward and Jason if you would come forward. And I want to ask you guys to do something. Jason, I want to ask you if you would pray over the work of the men in this body. Hamlet, if you would, I would ask you to pray over the work of the women in this church. Praise God for your work. Praise God for what you do.
1: God, we thank You that You have appointed us as Your image bearers to work in this world. You have given us the duty of working as human beings. You have said in Your Word, God, that if a man does not work, then don't let him eat. God, I pray for the men of this church that as we go out and do our work, that we wouldn't work for the bread that perishes. God, that we wouldn't separate into the secular and the holy, but God, that we would cross the threshold of our workplaces wherever they may be, whether it's at our home or at an office or on the road, and that we would know that we carry the image of Christ with us we alone carry the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. And I pray that you would help us to do our work heartily as unto the Lord. I pray that you would help us to be the best workers. And I pray that what our hand finds to do, God, we would do it with all of our might. God, teach us the doctrine of vocation. May we work to subdue the land subdue the earth and to rule over it and not give work to the secular people who do not know You. But may we carry Your name to them and testify of Your greatness in that. God, thank You for the men of this church. Thank You for the jobs that they have and for those that may be looking for work. God, pray that You would provide a a job for them that they might be able to provide for themselves, their families. I pray that you would bless that work, bless the work of their hands, God, as they commit that to you. We commit that to you now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Father, <clears throat> thank you for the thank you for the precious, precious ladies that uh, you've given Providence Bible Church. Thank you for all the way from, from Leah, um, all the way up to Linda Butram. Father, you've, you've given us precious, precious ladies who I know that you value so much. And I ask, Father, as these young ladies like Eden, look up and, and uh, see other people whose lives have been arrested by the Gospel of Christ, by Your Gospel, by Your Son's sacrifice, that they would find us to have examples uh, of what it means to, to really work for food that doesn't perish, but to work for food that lasts forever. Mostly, I just pray for the ladies to be um, supported by your gospel in whatever part of the world that um, they help in, in subduing and and um, ruling over the earth. I pray, Father, that that you'd give them satisfaction in yes, like Moon's been saying, this this work that perishes. I pray that. Older ladies would, would jump in and, and teach younger ladies how to love their husbands and, and children. I pray that the Spirit of God would be so evident in our, in our homes by women who don't fear anything that's frightening, but they um, are devoted to loving and respecting their husbands, Father, I pray for all these ladies that that are among us who um, are unmarried and are are looking towards the future. I pray that they would be totally devoted to you as their husband, that they would they would. Find hope and peace in in serving you with all their hearts. God, you've you've made us all different. And I, I do believe that you've just given us a kaleidoscope of your grace in 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 the work that perishes and the work that lasts forever. God, your gospel is what releases all of us. Thank you very much for the ladies that represent you at Providence Bible Church.